So good morning again. And as the kids go, and before we jump into God's word, I do have a couple of things we want you to just be aware of. Um, First of all, let's see, it's 1033, so we may have some more arriving in the next five or 10 minutes. Uh, And we won't stare and we won't make fun of them or anything like that. We'll We'll be as gracious and flexible and understanding as, uh, as, all of, as we have been here with our change of start time for, uh, for worship. So thanks for being here at 1015 this morning, and thanks for being flexible. Um, you know, we, we took a lot of factors into account. We, we had a lot of good discussion, and, and there's a lot of things to fig- balance and figure out, and, and we felt good about this being a good start time for the season uh, that we are in. Uh, and yet, I wanted you to let you know, on behalf of me and, and other leaders, we feel like we could have communicated that better. And so we're sorry. And uh, we could have done that with, with more notice. We could have done that with a little more explanation. Um, and so, you know, realizing uh, it's a change from we had been at 10, 9 and 1045. We were looking for a slot that would fit uh, as many people as we can be a blessing to. And so uh, thanks for understanding, but uh, we do apologize for that. Um, and then also on behalf of, of us leaders, I uh, want to let you know there's an annual meeting. Our next congregational meeting is our annual January meeting coming up here in a couple of weeks. It'll happen after our worship gathering on that Sunday morning. And uh, I want to give you a, a, just a quick version of what we're looking forward to, what we're asking God for help with here And uh, so that you can be praying with us and preparing for that. During that meeting, um, we'll continue looking at next steps forward uh, for Faith Church, Faith Christian School. And as we explained previously in in a congregational meeting, uh, we'll be asking for your help and your support in in giving the two leadership teams, that being the leadership team of of Faith Church, the elder team, and the Faith Christian School board. We're going to be asking for your help, your support in, in giving those two leadership teams the freedom to begin navigating changes as it relates to Faith Christian School becoming an independent organization, an independent ministry, with this in mind, so that Faith Church can be all that God has for it to be and that Faith Christian School can continue to flourish and be as effective as possible for, for Jesus in our community. So, um, so that's what we're, we're going to be continuing to, to talk about and need your help with on the 26th. So if you'd like to learn more, this is what we want to give information out about soon. If you'd like to learn more, have a question, um, would, would benefit from interacting with our leaders, our elders about this, we're going to be holding some informational meetings, uh, a couple of this week, a couple next week, one next Sunday. And so we're going to uh, create these opportunities in homes, interacting with some of our leaders to, um, to just help us to understand what we're headed towards. So if that's uh, helpful, then watch your email. We're going to email uh, official members of Faith Church hopefully today or tomorrow with information about those upcoming meetings. And um, this is a ridiculous little tiny detail, but I feel like I should, I, should, I should help us out with it. If you feel like you should be receiving emails from Faith Church and you're not sure you are, please check your spam folder. <laughs> So exciting, but uh, we did switch email. We did switch email servers, and so some of our communication is is not recognized by your email provider and has gotten divvied off somewhere else. And so, if you track it down, mark it not as spam, move it into your inbox, do something so that future correspondence will get to you. All right. Hopefully, that makes sense. Um, all right, let's pray as we um, head into a time studying God's word. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. This morning, we thank you for church family. God, I'm so thankful for the way that you care for us in in so many ways, so many ways that 
your love comes to us. And, and thankful that one of those is through the body of Christ, the f- church family, those followers of Jesus that you put around us in our lives. So we thank you for an opportunity to be together now this morning. God, we thank you that you are a God who is near to us, who comes to us and guides us by your spirit. We pray you'd continue to guide us individually and collectively as a church family. God, may we submit our lives to you so that the result of our our individual lives and our church family life would be all for your glory. And God, as we open your word, would you speak to us now? Would we we be able to set ourselves aside and our, 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 uh, our busyness aside and our distractions aside so that we could hear from you through your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, in a moment, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you want to turn your Bibles there, you're welcome to do that now, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, Before I start reading a bit from that passage, I have this uh, thought for you, this question for you. When I mention the idea of being entitled, who do you think of? (laughs) Okay, okay. I didn't necessarily mean you could say it out loud, you know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, I should allow that, right? Because a lot of times I get silence and then I'm up here going, hey, talk to me, please. Yeah, no. Uh, when, I, when I mention the idea of, of being or acting entitled, yeah, who do you think of? Do we, do we sometimes think of that other generation from us? Do we think of, of people that have never been told No. We think of people that life is all about them. So when I mention the idea of acting entitled or being entitled, who do you think of? And here's my, my generic general answer. I think when we, when we are asked who we, when we think about being entitled, we think of someone else. But is it just those other people that are entitled? Or are there times when that's true of us too? We're uh, we're in a series of messages uh, through the, the letter in our New Testament of our Bible called 1 Corinthians. This is a letter written by a church leader named Paul to a group of Christians in a town called Corinth. Thus, they are the Corinthian Christians, this Corinthian church, and this letter is written to them. And we've been teaching our way, uh, studying our way through God's word through this letter. And uh, our series is called Better Together. Wanting God to use this letter to a church long ago... But knowing that God's word is living and active, this letter is absolutely something that God can use in our lives today. And so um, hopefully you've turned with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Love you to bring your Bibles or open your uh, Bible app on your device and and follow along with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to start with verse 3 here. Paul writes, this is my defense to those who would examine me. So right away, we want to ask the question, why is he needing to defend himself? Well, as we've talked about previously in our study of 1 Corinthians, Paul is uh, being scrutinized. He's being questioned. His credentials are being questioned. His authority is being questioned. He's being scrutinized. He's being put on trial. Everything he does when he sneezes, they, they, they want to know what it's all about and what his motive was. So he writes verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. And and back up to verse one, am I not free? And we find that they are attacking his ministry methods, the way he goes about things, the way he goes about proclaiming the good news of God is being called into question. Then that verse one continues, am I not an apostle? An apostle was uh, an office of church leadership. 
He says, am I not an apostle? So, so they're questioning. They're putting him on trial. They're attacking his, his calling, his, his very vocation. Then he says, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? They're attacking the truth of his words. He has said that he is an apostle called by Jesus himself. And they're attacking the truth of his words. They're attacking his credentials, that perhaps he should not have the right to serve as an apostle, as a pastor. And then they ask, are you not? And he says, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? He he has invested in these Christians. He has helped them to follow Jesus. And now they're on their way to ignoring or denying that Paul even played that role in their life, that he played a role in bringing the good news of Jesus to them and them being rescued from sin and death and transformed and made new. Verse two says, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So why are they putting Paul on trial? Why are they criticizing? Why are they attacking? Why are they evaluating every little thing he does? Uh, As I studied this passage this last week or two, a a commentator, a pastor, an author named Stephen Um writes this. The Corinthian church is in the middle of a real mess. And one of its biggest issues is that it has very little respect for its founding leader, Paul, the, the author of this letter. In short, the Corinthians believe that they are entitled to a certain kind of leader, and Paul doesn't quite measure up. They feel that the world should spin on the axis of their desires, preferences, and tastes. They feel as though Paul owes it to them to adapt his personality, his style, and his ministry methods to their liking. So here's the, so, so we're, at, we're talking about this idea of, of, of feeling entitled or, or being entitled or acting entitled, and, and we're going to look a little bit. This passage gives us a little insight into why the Corinthians felt entitled. They had this expectation for what kind of leader they should have, and Paul wasn't matching up. And as, as we often do, before we continue to study God's word, I want us to kind of put ourselves in the situation here. I want us to open up our hearts and minds a little bit. And we joked that, you know, if I, ask about, if I ask about being entitled, we tend to think of someone else. Well, let's think about us. I want you to come up with an example, if you can. Think of a time when you felt entitled. Be honest. Can you think of a time, the more recently, the better, because I do it all the time. What, what's a time recently when you felt entitled? where you had expectations of something that should happen, the way things should go, something that you deserved. You had expectations of what should happen or how you should be treated or how you should be received or the way things should go. You had expectations, and those expectations grew inside to entitlement. Not only is that what I want, not only is that what I wish, I expect it. I'm entitled. I deserve it. I demand it. You owe it to me. When has those kinds of thoughts creeped up in your mind? With whom? And in what situation? Where expectations grew into entitlement. You owe me. And then what happens inevitably when we have those kinds of expectations and entitlement? What happens? They're not met. Those expectations are often unmet. 
People don't respond the way we want, we expect. We aren't in the situation that we think we deserve or the way, things that we ought to, the way that we think things ought to go. And so those expectations are not met. And I don't know about you, but what I do in that situation is I grumble under my breath. I'm like, who, the, who that person is that I deserve and you should treat. And you're messed up and mean and sinful and it's all your fault. Anybody ever grumble anything like that or just me? Just your pastor. And it, and it harms our relationships. Even if I never articulate that out loud, even if no one ever else hears my grumbling, God does, and it hurts my relationship with that person because uh, of what's going on in my own heart. If you have siblings, I'm sure that kind of grumbling has never been true of you. If you're married, I'm sure you've never felt entitled to any kind of treatment or situation with your spouse. That same commentator that I mentioned earlier, Stephen Um, suggests three dangers of entitlement. Number one, three dangers of entitlement. Number one, it distorts our perception of reality. When we have an inflated self-view, when we think of ourselves, when we think that things should, should, uh, should operate around us, when we think about that everything in our lives should circle uh, around us, we have this inflated view of self that puts us in the position of the deserving. We deserve. We are at the center, so this is how it should go. And, and, and everyone else then owes us. The Corinthians think they deserve a certain kind of leader and so Paul should either shape up or ship out. He should either conform to their image of what a leader is, or they, need, they want to get rid of him. So one danger of entitlement is that it distorts our perception of reality. Number two, it impairs our ability to receive gifts. The Corinthians have been given the greatest gift of all, they have been told, they have been pointed to Jesus. They have been given the gospel good news message that God rescues sinners like you and me from sin and death and hell and makes it possible to have a new life through Jesus Christ. The Corinthians have the gospel and they have one of the greatest leaders in the church of all time, Paul. And all they see is what they don't have. All they see is, is, is how things are not matching up to their expectations. So because of that, they're incapable of, of enjoying what they do have. They're incapable of experiencing uh, the joy of the gifts that they have been given. They're incapable of expressing gratitude for the way that God has worked among them. One of the dangers of entitlement is that it impairs our ability to receive gifts to be thankful for what we have, to see how God is working in our lives because we're still so preoccupied with what we don't have or what we wish for. The third danger that uh, this commentator mentions is that it turns us against the world and even against the ones we love. The third danger of entitlement, that it turns us against the world and the ones we love. We feel entitled, so we have expectations, and when the other people in our lives don't live up to these expectations, we feel that they owe us. What happens with us? What happens inside? We get frustrated, we get angry, and these people around us become the enemy. 
It turns us against the world and even against the ones that we love. We, we feel we have expectations. They grow to entitlement. They fall, the, the, these expectations are unmet. We get angry and we grumble and, we, and we've broken relationship with people around us. So, so far in the passage or so far as we've studied God's word this morning, we've gotten an idea of what the Corinthians thought they were entitled to. And, and among these things that they seem to be expressing is that they thought they were entitled to a certain type of leader. They wanted to be associated. Remember this from our study of, of, of the early part of, of 1 Corinthians. They wanted to be associated with a leader who was good looking and strong and perfect and an amazing speaker and had all these skills and worldly, culturally accepted gifts and, and all that. And, and, and when Paul's not quite what they expect, um, they, they, are, they are feeling entitled and frustrated. So we've thought a bit about a little bit about their feelings of entitlement. Now I want to kind of, I want to spin it a little bit and look at a different perspective as we continue in the passage. What was Paul, what was this church leader Paul, what was he actually, actually entitled to? What rights did Paul have? Verse 7, jump down to verse 7 with me. It's, he, he writes this, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? He gives three examples in a row here in verse 7 of basically the same thing. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? What's the expected answer there? No one. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? What's the expected answer there? No one. Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? No one. He continues, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is, the, is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Or does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop so that the worker gets to benefit from the crop, from the blessings, from what comes of the work. In verse 11, he continues, if we have sown, if we spiritual leaders, if we church leaders have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much to ask if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So here's something that according to God's word and according to a lot of other uh, things that we'll mention here, uh, Paul was entitled. Paul did have rights here in this situation. And he makes the case uh, that he has every right to earn money, to earn his living through doing the work of ministry. This is, this is true throughout scripture and beyond scripture. Uh, the commentator I studied this week pointed this out. This would be the situation that the Corinthians would understand. This would be something they would be familiar with. This idea of the worker uh, deserving to share in the blessings of that work. That sowing a spiritual harvest would receive support for their ministry. And, and, and this commentator points out that would have been ordinary practice. This would have been familiar to them in their culture. He pointed out that there is scriptural, biblical precedent for this expectation, this right that Paul is expressing, there is common sense. We just read those three, right? Those three in verse seven, and we all had kind of the common sense response. I mean, it seems natural. And then there's a religious custom of that time as well uh, of, of supporting uh, church leaders in that way. 
And then Jesus himself, look at verse 14. In the same way, the Lord Jesus himself commanded that those who proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus, should get their living by the gospel. Okay, so, so Paul has set down this, this quick um, case for why he has every right to make money as he works in ministry. And yet, where we're about to go in this passage, yet, very interestingly enough, very somewhat surprisingly enough, yet Paul doesn't exercise this right. In this particular case, he doesn't. There are times and places and cities and ministries in which he does exercise that right. We see that throughout the New Testament. But in this particular case, interestingly, he doesn't exercise that right. Look at verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. He doesn't exercise his rights in this case because he has found, I suggest this, he doesn't exercise his rights in this case because he has found something better than living for himself. And he goes on to explain it's, it's that he wants to point to Jesus. is that he doesn't want any obstacle in the way of people hearing from him that Jesus, in Jesus, is found all we need and all we hope for. And so he doesn't exercise his right. Look, look back at verse 12, the end of uh, the second part of verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the good news of what Jesus has done. See, I think one of the things that's happening here is that Paul wants to distinguish himself from these other orators, these other distinguished speakers of the time. Remember we said that for the Corinthians were enamored by these fancy speakers that would come around and give these lofty speeches and show off their smarts and show off their wisdom. And then what would they get in return for these speeches? They'd get money. And the more that people supported them and the more that people paid them, Maybe their message would change a little bit. Maybe what they would say would be more in line with what the people that donated the money to them. But he says, nevertheless, I have not made use of this right. I wanna, I don't, we, we don't want to put any obstacle in the way of the gospel. I think Paul wanted to distinguish himself from these other orators. The Corinthians were frustrated. He wouldn't take their money. He wouldn't take their money. They want to use their money to leverage or sway their leader, their speaker. But in stark contrast, Paul was done with that. Paul was done leveraging his status, his title, his position for gain. He wasn't concerned with his rights. He wasn't concerned with what he was entitled to. Paul had discovered a way of life where he was no longer the center of the universe. Paul had discovered a way of life that was so much better than, than expecting and, and in feeling entitled and, and having things center on himself. He had found a way of life that meant pointing to Jesus and, and making sure to, to, to not let anything get in the way of people hearing from him that life, true life, now and forever, is found in Jesus. So verse 18, Paul writes, what then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. That I may present the good news of Jesus for free for all to hear. 
So when we, uh, so this is where we can wrestle with it ourselves and what God might want to do in our hearts and lives this morning. When we live for ourselves, when the universe focuses on us, when things center on us, um, we have expectations. And those expectations become entitlement. Or, with God's help, with God's working in our life, we could ask God to help us be so captured, so thrilled with the spectacular news that is the gospel, we could ask God's help to change our hearts and our minds and the ways we interact with him and, and the ways that we recognize what he has done through Jesus. We, we could center on self. We could think things focus on us. We could have expectations that become entitlement. Or we could be so captured by the good news that we could set aside even the things we, we feel are our rights, even the things that, that might, we might truly deserve. We can set those aside. We can consider setting aside those things, setting ourselves aside for the sake of living a life that is glorifying to Jesus in all that we do. I want to continue in the passage, and I think there's a little bit of a, of a parallel here. Another topic, but a, but a parallel to lives that are transformed by living for the gospel. When we don't live, uh, when we live for self, we could also... I think something else we could do is we could stick with what's comfortable, what's familiar. When we, when we live for self, when things center on us, we're going to choose conversations and occupations and um, activities that are comfortable, that are familiar, that are convenient, that don't stress us out. If we're not careful, when we're living for self, we could stick with what's comfortable, or, or, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Is that at the top of most of our lists? What's convenient and comfortable and familiar? To be in charge of our own world and to have our say and to do our own thing? He says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them, meaning that I might convince more of them to find life in Jesus. Verse 20, to the Jews, Paul says, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Again, he's talking about winning. He's talking about bringing people out of darkness into the light, out of sin and death, and into forgiveness and new life connected with God. He, he, wants, he wants to do anything he can. He wants to interact in any way possible. He wants to put himself in, any, in situations and in conversations that would result in more people finding life in Jesus. Verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. 
Um, you've, heard, you've heard me say around here that as a follower of Jesus, you are a missionary. As a follower of Jesus, we are all spirit-empowered ministers, missionaries, that, that God wants to use our lives, our words, and our actions in our spheres of influence to bring God's love to those around us, to bring the good news of Jesus to those around us. And so you, follower of Jesus, are a spirit-empowered minister of the gospel. And God has a calling for you to share the good news of Jesus with those around you. And then one of the things we have an opportunity to do as a church family is to support financially those that serve in ministry, in evangelism, in serving as a missionary. We, we have an opportunity as a church family, and we do this, supporting many missionaries that serve and glorify Jesus all over the world. And uh, as I prepared for this passage, I had some fun discussion with Eric Hedin. So I want to invite Eric Hedin to come up here. And, uh, and so uh, Eric is uh, one of the missionaries that we support. And as he comes up, let's welcome Eric. Yeah, I'll grab it. What's up, brother? And Eric and his family uh, are with us. Eric and his uh, wife, Judith, and their boys. You can see a great picture up there. And, uh, and it's a unique situation right now. Um, you're here. You're with us. And, and not just one day, but uh, we, it, I hope you already know we've had the blessing of having the Hadeen family with us for several months now um, as they are currently on a home assignment, uh, getting refreshed, catching up with churches that support them, uh, enjoying a whole different kind of life right here, here yeah, in Oregon. Crazy, craziness in a totally different uh, area. Yes. Yeah. The, the usual craziness is in Papua New Guinea. How long have you guys been serving there? Um, I've been there for about 25 years. Yep. Yeah. And how long have you and your family been connected with Faith Church? Um, to really, this is the first church that Judith and I as a couple have spent time in. So right after we got married, which is what, close to 19 years now. Awesome. So. Yeah. So one of the opportunities we have as a church family, in, in your generous giving to, our, to support our budget, we get to support several missionary families, uh, including the Hadines. And so um, as I was thinking about this passage, uh, Eric and I got together and chatted a bit. And, uh, and I, just, I just a minute ago said this idea that, you know, living for ourselves... Life focused on us, world focused on us. We could stick to the familiar, to the comfortable, um, to what's convenient for us. But I love something that you said in our interaction. And you said something to me along the lines of that the gospel demands engaging people where they are. And so that's why you're up here this morning, brother. <laughs> uh, we we want to hear how God has worked in, in and through you and your ministry. And, and, and we want to learn from you about, about engaging people. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Um, we've got a few pictures that we're going to roll through here. Um, uh, like I mentioned, it was like 25 years ago I went overseas as a missionary. I was single then, um, shy, reserved individual by nature. Um, and I knew going into it that, okay, I'm going over to Papua New Guinea. I'd been there before for six weeks on a short-term mission trip. But that's kind of, a, you have a bit of a... Uh, you know, oh, this, I'm only here for a short time, so you, things don't hit you in the same way. But I knew that, like, once I joined the Malmanda team and uh, was going to work with the Malmanda people group, you knew that it's okay, I'm going into something that is going to push me in, in ways that um, I hadn't necessarily understood. Um, you, they, mean, you mean God might want to use the introverts? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, okay. Okay. And then, but but the, the, the challenge for for me was okay. These people needed to hear the gospel. They were interested in the gospel, but it's like okay, how do I go about? engaging with these people because I didn't know their language. I didn't know their culture. And so, okay, how do I go about doing it? And I, I don't know if you want to roll through the, the pictures. Okay. So some of the things that we ended up having to do was, okay, you have to face some of your fears. Now you can see a little bit here. Oh, that's some of the places we had to go would be like walking across that. Now that wasn't actually that big of a deal. And actually now that's, they're actually kind of fun to go across. Um, <laughs> But it could be 60 or 70 feet off the, the river. And if you wow. go into that river, you're dead. Um, and so those are some of the challenges. You're going, okay, I need to go out and meet these people where they're at, but I need to go across one of those in order to get there. Wow. Um, if you could just roll through there. Um, I mean, just going out for me, going out into their houses sometimes was a bit of a challenge. Um, it's not one of my natural personality to go like charging into people's houses and mm -hmm. stuff, but that's their culture. That's the way they live. That's what mm -hmm. they do. And so you're going up logs, you're going into houses and you're sitting down and engaging with people that you really don't necessarily understand what they're saying initially and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, uh, or you're talking to people that look radically different. Um, and then there's uh, additional ones as well. Um, this is actually fun. The previous slide was me at about 27 years of age. So these are classic, classic pictures. Um, <laughs> classic. So, but, but you're, you're having to go out and engage people and, and do things that are, are a challenge. Or you're, you're having to do things that you would never dream you want to do, like this one here. You almost don't, it's like we're right before lunch, and it's like, and, but this is actually tame compared to what I had to deal with. Um, and and I, I can't even, in mixed company, I can't even go into half of the, the medical situations that I had to run into. But, but lest you say, oh, hey, Eric, he just loves doing that. No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, just to be full disclosure, I remember, and I will never forget this, being in my house, I would get up at 6, and I would have to be out of the house really at 7.30 in the morning, out into their gardens, into their houses, because that's when they got up and they got going. Um, and it would be like 7.20, and I'd be like, okay, I got to go to the bathroom, I'm going to get a glass of water, get my backpack, and I had a jug of water in my backpack, too, because I'd be out for hours on end. Um, so I'd go there, and then I'd go to the bathroom, I'd get my glass of water, I'd get a second glass of water, I'd get a third glass of water, and then it's like, oh, man, now I got to go to the bathroom again. So then I'd go back, I'd go to the bathroom again, and I'd come out, well, maybe I need another glass of water. <laughs> and, and then it hit me, it's like, whoa. Eric, what are you doing? You're not like camel going into the Sahara. You are just going out and you've got water with you. What you're doing is you're avoiding mm. getting out and involving yourself in the lives of people. Why? Mm. Because it isn't comfortable. It isn't fun. Um, I have friends that, that are in the mission field and, and I've, I've gone and been a consultant with them and they go like, Eric, I hate the bush. I hate it. And, 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 and yet you look at their time charts and you look at what they're doing. It's like every single day they're going out where? To the bush. Hmm. Why? Because if they're going to minister the gospel to the people that they're working with, that's where they have to go. Hmm. And so they're not going to retire in a, in a tropical jungle, but while they're ministering to the people, that's exactly where they have to be. Hmm. Um, and that's the challenge. And there's a, you could find that challenge here as well, but I'll let him wrap that up. But, but that was a challenge for me is to always go, okay, how can I go? Where do I need to go? What do I need to do in order to engage people? 
um, to be where they're at so that I can bring the gospel to them and, and see the gospel then transform their lives. Right on. Thanks, brother. Appreciate that. Just thinking of having Eric up here, I, just, I also want to just say, you know, thanks, brother, for uh, serving us this morning and sharing with us. And, and I want you all to know there'll be more opportunities. If you haven't already gotten to know this great family, I'd encourage you to say hello and, and get to know them um, before or after worship on Sunday. And there's going to be more opportunities in the coming weeks, uh, coming months, to hear from Eric from, and, and, and learn more about their ministry and what God is doing through them and for us to be an encouragement to them uh, before they return uh, to the field um, this summer. When are you, when are you taking off, guys? J- June? May, early June. Is, so we have them until then. So we're glad you're with us. Um, so before Eric came up here, I said, I said that we are all followers of Jesus, a spirit-empowered minister of the gospel. And, and I want to say, God will call some of you to the far reaches of our world to share the good news of Jesus with, with folks that, that we don't relate to, that look different than us, that have customs that are different than us, that put us out of our comfort zone, that cause us to go into situations we're not familiar with. And so be ready, because God is going to work and move and call some of you to full-time, vocational uh, service of the Lord and sharing of the gospel as a missionary. And the rest of you aren't off the hook. Because we're a spirit-empowered minister of the gospel to the spheres of influence that God does put us in, right? And you may not go to a foreign culture, but some of you have neighbors whose homes you aren't really accustomed to just going into either, like Eric said, right? Or, or maybe some friends or coworkers that eat things that you're not familiar with. Yeah, I mean, it's right here, isn't it? God has put you in your sphere of influence for his purposes, to not live in your own universe for your own self and your own expectations and feeling entitled, but for how God might want to use you to impact those around you. And so I just, I would, I just urge you and, and pray that we will all, individually, myself included, be receptive to what God would want to do. We'd be listening to the Holy Spirit's direction in our life to set ourselves aside, to set aside convenience and comfort and familiarity and go to the Malamundan people or to the people of Dallas, or to your neighborhood, or, or whatever that is. We can make adjustments, like, like Eric made adjustments to his comfort level, to his cultural expectations, to his understanding of language. We can all make adjustments. We can learn the hopes and the questions of people around us. We can understand what our neighbors and our coworkers and our fellow students wrestle with and what their problems are and what their hurts are. You and I can put ourselves in a position to listen and to hear and to understand and to adapt ourselves and our lives and our words and our actions to be conduits of God's love to those people where they are. You with me? So here's the question I'll I'll close with. What kind of news, what kind of of news would make a guy work for free? Give up his sense of entitlement. What what kind of news would cause you to give up yourself, your sense of entitlement? What kind of news would cause us to step out of our comfort zone, be okay with going out of the familiar, out of what's best for us, out of what we'd prefer, and into God's purposes for our lives? What kind of news would cause that. I think the gospel is that news. 
Because the gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners like you and I through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That he doesn't leave us stuck in our sin, headed toward hell, but God pursued us, came to us, sent his son to rescue us, to live the life that we cannot live, to die the death that we deserved, and be raised again to new life, showing us that you and I too can have new life because of Jesus. The gospel is that kind of news. What kind of news... What kind of news would cause a guy to work for free? What kind of news would cause us to give up our sense of entitlement and be willing to go out of our comfort zone? We're used to a world that operates on purchasing, on paying, on earning. We're we're operating in a world, in a culture that, that, that that we have to deserve it, that we have to merit it, that we have to match up. We live in a world that runs on purchasing, paying, earning, deserving, entitlement, but not the gospel. The gospel's free. You can't earn it, the gospel, the good news that Jesus rescues from sin and death and hell. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You're not entitled to it, but God pursued you and rescued you anyway, and me. And that's why I stand up here is because I have been changed by Jesus, not just once back when I became a Christian, brought out of sin and death and hell into light and life. But I am being changed and made new from the inside out every day. I fall short. I grumble my sense of entitlement at people I love. But God loves me, and he's changing me. There's nothing better in this life than meeting and following Jesus. That's what I want you to know. And so that's why we talk about the good news of the gospel every Sunday. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You're not entitled. But God rescues. The gospel's free. Receive the free gift of salvation by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. And I don't just mean say it once or call yourself a Christian. I mean submit your life to his leadership. Give yourself all that you are heart, soul, mind, and strength, words, actions, body language, posture, submit it all to Jesus as master and let him lead you. Life won't be perfect. Individually and as a church family, we'll continue to go through difficult things. But God is with us. Father God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you that at the cross, all of history changed. We thank you that at the cross, sinful me was made right with a holy and perfect you. God, we thank you for the cross. May we look to the cross as a reminder of your love for us, that God, you demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, we thank you for your great love to us through Christ. We thank you for the rescue plan that you enacted through him. God, I pray that we would receive that gift with open hearts and minds, that we would entrust ourselves fully to you, that we would find new life in you. And God, I pray for myself and everyone here this morning that we would be good news people. God, I pray that as followers of Jesus, you would help us become more and more good news people. 
people who are thankful for what you've done, people who are rejoicing in having been saved, people who are so thankful that we are being transformed and being given a new heart, a new mind, a new attitude, and new desires. God, would we be good news people that because of all that you've done in our lives, that we would set ourselves aside, that we would give up our sense of entitlement, that we would live boldly out of our comfort zone for you. God, show us what that looks like in our lives today. We want to live for you. So we lift our voices, we give our gifts, we say our prayers now out of thankfulness for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.